Welcome to the Bruce Siski Show. Follow the Bruce Siski Show on Twitter to interact anytime. Got something on your mind? You can text Bruce during the show by using the short code 84454. You're listening to the Bruce Siski Show on 610 and FM 103.9 KDAL. 10-11, it's a Wednesday, second day of August 2023. Bruce Siski Show on KDAL. Great to have you along. A baseball trade deadline recap coming up in just a few minutes, and we'll get into what the Brewers did and what the Twins didn't do. All that coming up sets you up for today's baseball, uh, that after the news. But uh, first, uh, on July 1st, the NCAA had a new rule go into effect that allowed uh, men's and women's hockey coaching staffs to be expanded to three paid assistants, and UMD jumped into that, uh, posted a women's hockey assistant coach position, I think, on July 1st. And they've got a new hire announced uh, late last week. New assistant coach for the UMD women is Emma Sobiek. She joins us now. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, Emma, let's let's take talk about your journey in the sport first and I know you played it for a long time you played division one hockey do you remember the first time you put the skates on oh I started skating when I was about four I do not remember but my mom always tells me that I would be the last person I'd start on one side of the ice and like make the teacher come over and like hold my hand to bring me across the ice and they just laughed I played for so long and they're like we did not expect it after first watching you when you as, as you remember playing the game of hockey, uh, was there a point where you – to me, there's two thoughts here. One, I'm pretty good at this because you were. And two, I want to continue to play this as long as I possibly can. When did you have those moments of kind of realizing those things? I think it was definitely in high school or kind of throughout when I was younger. But to me, it was just I loved the game of hockey. Um, I played boys hockey all the way up through peewees and – I was always the one being like, hey, do we want to play pond hockey? And my dad knew that, so he put a rink in our backyard. And so I would be out there at 6 in the morning playing hockey, shooting pucks, and waking the whole neighborhood up pretty much. And so for me, it was just the love of the game. And that really, like, throughout my youth hockey was what got me to be a good player, I thought. Did you uh, did you want to play with the boys, or did you have no choice but to play with the boys? Because there are some associations out there, as, as we were, as, as even people your age are growing up didn't have girls hockey yet. Um, I could, I had the choice to play either, but I grew up in like since mites and squirts, I was playing with the boys, and I loved it. And I had one of my really good friends, Marissa Odell. Um, she played with me too, and Kelly Panic, who was a Olympian. It was us three on the Armstrong kind of organization and so we played and we had a great group of us three that loved it and so it was a perfect fit for us at the time and then I went right from boys to girls high school hockey so it was a good transition. We're talking to the new uh, women's hockey assistant coach at UMD Emma Sobiek so uh, high school hockey you go on to Bemidji State and and you know I know you got your coaching certificate in 2018 but you know at what point did you start to think about coaching? So I actually went to school for physical education and health education, and I wasn't able to finish those degrees because of my student teaching because I played overseas afterwards. And so throughout my time, I knew I wanted to be a teacher, and I thought it would be a perfect fit to be a teacher and a coach. And that's how I know a lot of people do that. 
And so that's why the coaching aspiration and the certificate came out. And then afterwards, when the opportunity came up at Bemidji, it was like, I never wanted to hang up the skates. So I was like, this is a perfect fit to transition into the coaching world. Um, and I love it. And so it was a, once I started it, it was like, I don't think I want to do anything else. So it's been great. Tell me about your experience playing Division One hockey up in Bemidji. Phenomenal experience. Um, we had a great four years when I was there as a player, and it was just the best thing. Um, I was able to play hockey, go to school, and I was the kind of player that loved practice, loved games, loved every second of it. And so I was just present there my four years and had a great career. There is this segment of, of college hockey fans in, in this area that for some reason they just don't like Bemidji. I've defended Bemidji to the death because I think Bemidji's better than St. Cloud. Best thing about living in Bemidji, because you've lived there a long time. I lost you there for a second, but I heard that you were defending Bemidji. <laughs> well, yeah, because I, 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 I feel like Bemidji is, is one of those towns that you've got to experience it to understand it. So I, I'll ask you, the best thing about living in Bemidji as somebody who lived there for a long time like you did? I would agree. I think that's what a lot of our even alumni would say is you have to kind of live it to get it. Um, but Bemidji just being on the lake, the nature aspect is phenomenal up here. And so I think it's just a fun experience because campus, um, the rink, everything is right on Lake Bemidji. But I understand why the people in the area probably don't like Bemidji. When I was a player, we had some really good games against Duluth. And so I think it was a little bit of a rivalry for a little bit. Um, so I, it was a good, healthy rivalry, which I always thought, too. So for me, uh, and I've, I've been doing this a really long time, so I, you know, John Glass Fieldhouse predates the Sanford Center, which is yeah. the, it's a great facility. The John Glass Fieldhouse was not a great facility. So where they set the visiting radio up, true story, they set the visiting radio up and there's a giant pole right to your left. So you can't see the entire ice surface without leaning all over the place. And in my years, I started in 05. And we were going up there pretty much every year for at least a home-and-home series before Bemidji State got in the WCHA. And I saw the UMD men, I think, win one game in John Glass Fieldhouse in all the years that they played up there, all the years they went up there, one win in John Glass Fieldhouse. So I don't miss that place at all, but Sanford Center's great. Yes, Sanford Center's great, but I agree. I feel like John Glass had a lot of character, and it was just probably for visiting teams not as fun to plan, but for homes they probably loved it because it filled up. It was a good environment. Yeah, it was a great environment for college hockey, no question about that. You play professionally in Germany. Tell me about that because, you know, we, we hear the stories about, you know, men's players getting over to Europe and having some experience. In fact, uh, Jack Connolly won the Hobie at UMD. He's had him on the radio show a couple of weeks ago. He's heading back over to, to play more uh, professional hockey in Sweden this year. But uh, women's hockey, we don't talk a lot about those experiences. Tell me about playing in Germany. Yeah, I absolutely loved my experience. It was one of it was the best two years, um, and it was able to play hockey and just play hockey. For me, like especially for on the men's side, they get to play juniors and just focus on hockey. And so that was kind of one of my aspirations that I wanted to do was play hockey, be able to focus on it. Um, and I had a great two years doing it, and I was able to travel a ton. I went to 13 different countries when I was over there, so that was fun to kind of spark my travel bug. And I actually played against my first year over there, Nina Joe Smith. Um, she was playing over there that first season that I was there and so I got to meet her um, and so it's kind of a full circle moment coming back and now I'll be able to coach her. Uh, what were the uh, what were the what atmospheres like that you played in? Because uh, oh, European fans they've got a bit of a reputation they get rather intense in the sports they go to watch. 
insane. It is a really cool environment. Um, a lot of the arenas are really nice, similar to the um, venues that we have now here in the WCHA. And then there's some that are just not quite there. We played one in Burkhaven that had, like, behind the net. It, instead of glass, it was net, which is very interesting. Um, but when I was playing in Ingolstadt especially, there was a really good fan base that would come. And their chants, their cheers throughout the whole entire game. Like, they don't stop. And so that was a really cool environment. And then when I played in Berlin, there was actually an NHL game there. So it was the Blackhawks versus the men's program. And so we were able to go to that, and they I don't think they ever stopped cheering the whole entire game, and that's pretty standard. And it's just a great environment to be in and participate in, too, when you're watching. A voice you're hearing is Emma Sobiek. She is the new assistant coach for the UMD women's hockey team hired last week. Again, new rule in the NCAA this year, allowing for three paid assistant coaches on Division One staffs. You come back over, you, you go to Bemidji once again, and, and you work there as an assistant coach. You got your feet wet in the coaching world now. What was that like? It was great. I was able to be there for three seasons, and I, I learned so much. I grew so much, and it's fun to see from year one to year three how much I've grown. Um, I just feel ready for a new adventure, too. So I'm excited about that, but I, I, it was a great start for me, and I, I loved every second of it. So it's been a great three years here. How did you get involved? I know you've worked with USA Hockey as well. How'd that come about? Um, you kind of apply throughout the summer stuff um, and throughout the coaching world. A lot of coaches said this is a great opportunity to get involved in. Um, so I applied, and it's been a great learning thing. They do a lot of professional development throughout the week. Um, but it's been a fun thing. I've done the 16-17s now for two years. I've done the Minnesota Hockey 15s for probably seven-plus years. I started that in college as a team leader and then came into a coaching role. And I think that was a huge influence, too, that wanted to get me into the coaching world. Um, but I love the little team stuff you get to do for a week and just help people in their development throughout the summertime. Uh, when you played, you played in 145 consecutive games. I I, I can't even imagine. If that's <laughs> It's there's there's luck involved though right like like there's you're fortunate to be able to stay healthy but at the same time you're taking care of your body and and it's not completely an accident right yeah i think a huge piece our strength and conditioning um staff was phenomenal at bemidji state and so i think that was a huge piece they had a lot of focus on mobility and training kind of those accessory muscles but i it was funny i'd go into the athletic training room and just like go in there just to say hi to our (laughs) athletic trainer because i was never in there and I didn't have to, or I'd go in there for something that was so little that everybody else in there would look at me and be like, Emma, you don't need to be in here. And so I was very, very fortunate throughout my four years of college. I never was injured. Um, my first weekend, I think I split a game. And then after that, I was able to run and just go. And it was awesome. I loved playing the game. And so I was very fortunate to be able to play every single weekend. And there's got to be no better feeling than, than allowing the athletic training staff to be a Maytag repairman for a, for a couple hours at least, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, so you are here now uh, with the Bulldogs. What attracted you to, 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 to go for this job on the UMD staff once this third assistant gig opened up in July? Mm-hmm. I think the biggest thing for me was the staff there. Their staff is phenomenal, um, all with such great experience and places that they've been. Um, I am excited to learn from them, to grow from them, and I think a big thing, too, is just learning about a new program. Um, putting myself in an uncomfortable situation, and I think that's going to allow me to grow and develop as a coach. Um, and I'm just really excited. I love the nature aspect of Duluth, too. Um, for me, hobby-wise, I love to um, camp. I have a rooftop tent on my Jeep, and so I'll do a bunch of road trips. So I'm excited to explore the North Shore and do all of that, too. And so the community, um, the food scene, the coffee scene in Duluth is really exciting, too, for me. So 
I love the environment there, but then the biggest thing for me, too, is the staff. The program's phenomenal. Um, and just to go in and just grow and be somebody that can help um, elevate the program, too, um, I'm excited. As somebody who has worked on a Division One coaching staff and, and, and taken on that workload because it's not easy, what was your reaction when you found out that this that the third assistant was going to be a thing that the uh, that the NCAA is going to allow these schools to pay three assistant coaches uh, going forward? I just think it's an awesome thing. It's going to allow coaches to be able to coach even more um, and to provide more resources for student athletes, and that's something that's needed, especially with the mental health stuff that is coming, and it is very apparent, especially throughout the COVID. So I think just allowing more resources and being able to help and have more touch points with players is going to be really important. Uh, one of the players that you've coached up in Bemidji and worked with here recently is now a Bulldog as well, Reese Hunt transferring to UMD after four years in Bemidji. For the nice people listening that follow this program and, and maybe don't know a whole lot about Bemidji and, and Reese Hunt, what kind of player is UMD getting in Reese Hunt? Reese Hunt is a phenomenal player. She's so skilled. Um, she can do all the little things, whether that's shooting, stick handling, all of that. She has that. Um, her hockey IQ is phenomenal, too. She can set people up. She can make plays. Um, I think she's going to fit in extremely well with Duluth, which is her playmaking abilities, her ability to score. Um, and I think she's just going to be a really good fit with that program and their system. Um, but, yeah, great kid off the ice, too. She cares. She's thoughtful. She just gets it. She has a phenomenal hockey family, too. Um, so they're just great. And I think they're going to be a fun group to have in Amzola Arena cheering her on as well. Uh, one more here for UMD assistant coach Emma Sobiak. So you mentioned that, that you're, you're looking forward to getting outdoors here in Duluth. Is this a place that you visited <laughs> as a kid at all, or, or was your first experience here as a player? That is a great question. I actually grew up coming to Duluth with my grandma and grandpa. That was our yearly tradition as we'd come up and we'd stay at the Sweet Hotel. Um, there used to be the arcade kind of place down the street from the suites, and we'd always go there. We'd hang out, see the boats and all that kind of stuff. And so I've been actually coming to Duluth for like 10 plus years um, growing up. And then now we come over and just explore the North Shore a little bit more. So really excited to explore it and it has a very special place in my heart especially with my grandparents so it's going to be a lot of fun uh, the uh, north shore is fantastic uh, anybody who likes the outdoors you will absolutely love the north shore the more you get to uh, to get up there no doubt absolutely i'm excited all right appreciate the time i uh, look forward to meet you, meeting you in person once we get into the fall but uh, in, enjoy the move down all right Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on, and appreciate it. Looking forward to meet you as well. All right, Emma Sobiak is the new assistant coach for the UMD women's hockey team. Again, uh, made that official last week, and uh, she's on staff now with uh, Maura Kroll, the head coach, associate coach, Laura Bellamy, and the other assistant, Laura Schuler. Uh, Bulldogs, in case you're wondering, they open up the season uh, October 6th and 7th. They'll be at home, home opener against Long Island University at Amsoil Arena. And uh, looking forward to seeing everybody out for that. We'll have some games uh, this year on the radio. I believe our first uh, women's games on the radio will be the following weekend, October 13th and 14th. Doubleheader weekend at Amsoil. The men taking on Northern Michigan and the women play Ohio State. It can be a fun weekend of hockey. UMDBulldogs.com, as always, has your hookup for all the tickets. 1026 baseball trade deadline stuff. What the Brewers did, which was a lot, and what the Twins didn't do, which was also, I guess, a lot. That and more to come. Bruce Siski Show, Wednesday morning on KDAL.
Your Twin Ports home for Gopher basketball. It's good. He knocked it down. KDAL. Cloud-sun mix here this morning. It is warm. It is a little bit on the sticky side. We come back. We talk baseball trade deadline, which was yesterday. The Brewers did quite a bit, actually, and the Twins did a whole lot of nothing. We will talk about both as we continue on this Wednesday morning. CBS News also on the way. Update you on the nation and the world, and then we continue on this Wednesday morning Bruce Siski show. 610-103.9 KDAL CBS News now at 1032. The Bruce Siski Show. Okay, well, I've only ever played catcher. Scott, you're not a catcher anymore. If you were, our call wouldn't have been the only one you got when your contract expired. Yeah, hey, listen, no, I I appreciate it. You're welcome. But the thing the thing is, is uh you don't know how to play first base. Scott? That's right. It's not that hard, Scott. Tell him, watch. It's incredibly hard. Hey, anything we're doing is... On 610 and FM 103.9 KDAL. Ten thirty-seven Wednesday morning edition. Our friend Kevin Moore from Northern News Now on the radio show tomorrow. We'll catch up with him, see how his summer's been going. We'll talk a little hoop as well. Uh, Anthony Edwards and Kyle Anderson trading numbers. I don't know if there was any draft pick capital or dinners thrown into that, but... Uh, Edwards goes from 1 to 5, and Anderson from 5 to 1. Both uh, players have a past with their new numbers. And I don't know who uh, initiated this. Maybe Edwards, it sounds like, but uh, that switch announced yesterday. We'll joke about that a little bit and uh, talk some summer and some baseball as well. Uh, Friday, Brandon Warren, Locked on Twins podcast, Access Twins, our friend. We'll talk trade deadline with him. And let's see what's uh, cooking with the Twins heading into a home weekend against Arizona starting on Friday at Target Field. Uh, yesterday was the trade deadline. And let's start with the team that actually did stuff. The Brewers, right around the trade deadline, made three deals. Uh, two involving Major League, well, one involving the Major League roster, I guess, and two involving the Minor League roster, but that could have potential for more uh, down the line. Andrew Chafin was the big acquisition for the Brewers in more ways than one. 6'2", 250-pound left-handed pitcher, was acquired from the Arizona Diamondbacks for right-hander Peter Strzelecki. The Brewers went into the day yesterday tied with Arizona and Miami for the last playoff spot in the National League. This was not a Diamondbacks sell-off because they don't want to try to compete for a playoff spot. Uh, This was a baseball trade for them. And for the Brewers, it does address an issue. So... In the offseason, Milwaukee signed Justin Wilson, a left-handed veteran left-handed pitcher who was coming off the Tommy John. They knew he was going to be rehabbing for a good half of the season and then you know work him through the minors and get him back healthy, make sure he's good to go. Well, Wilson rejoined the team last week and was warming up on Friday in the bullpen in Atlanta for his Brewers debut, and something went wrong. Diagnosed with a left lat strain, We don't know how long this is going to leave Wilson out of the lineup. And the Brewers decided to add a left-hander, in this case a sinker-slider pitcher. Uh, Chafin's career splits are about equal. Uh, 228 average against lefties, 227 against righties. So this is a guy that's not necessarily just a left-handed specialist. Hobie Milner's been used a lot in that type of a role 
if a team's got left-handers coming up, they'll put Milner in the game. That Now they can kind of balance that out, but Chafin can also pitch against righties. Uh, this season, he's held righties to a 185 average, a 637 OPS. And he looks like a brewer. He's got the long hair and a mustache. Looks like one of Harvey's wallbangers, to be honest. He has a team option for next year at $7.25 million. The buyout's only $7.25K. So he's in the Brewers' bullpen, joins the team tomorrow as they return to Milwaukee. The other two trades involve players that are right now in the minors, but one of them wasn't at the start of the year. Uh, Luis Arias was Milwaukee's starting third baseman opening day. Suffered a significant hamstring injury opening day. Was Ended up on the 60-day injured list. Returned on June 5th. But in 20 games, it just 145 with a home run and 5 RBI before being optioned to AAA Nashville, where he's sort of hit a little bit. It hasn't been great. And he has now been dealt to Boston for minor league right-hander Bradley Blaylock. Urias optioned to AAA Worcester by the Red Sox, so he'll stay in the minors. He was acquired in the Trent Grisham-Zach Davies trade in 2019. 2021 hit 249, 23 home runs, but he never really advanced beyond that, and not sure what happened there. Sometimes it doesn't work out, right? Uh, Blaylock is only 22, missed all of last season off the Tommy John. He is in Class A, so my guess is he'll end up at Advanced Class A Wisconsin, the old Timber Rattlers and down by Appleton. So it's going to be a little while before the uh, Brewers see him moving up the chart, but he's a guy that they like. We'll see how that goes. And the other trade, minor league catcher Alex Jackson sent to Tampa Bay for minor league pitcher Evan McKendry. Uh, Jackson in Triple A. 45 games, 286, 12 home runs, 35 RBI. Did play five games with the Brewers last season when Victor Caratini had the COVID. McKendry's 25 in AAA, 8-3, ERA of 4 in 20 appearances, 15 starts, 95 strikeouts, and 97 innings pitched. And he will start off at AAA Nashville. So the Brewers are active in, in trying to address what they think is a, a significant hole in the pitching rotation. They'd already added Mark Canna and Carlos Santana, a couple of bats at the trade deadline. So they were busy. The Twins, tumbleweeds, nothing. Bupkis yesterday. Uh, they did make the Jorge lopez Dylan floral flop, uh, flat, flop swap last week. Not a flop, we don't know yet. Uh, the Twins did seek relief pitching and right-handed hitting, but nothing came to fruition. As I looked around, there was one guy that intrigued me. His name is Tommy Pham. He's a veteran. He's with the Mets right now, or was with the Mets. I should have got traded to Arizona yesterday for a minor leaguer. And I do wonder if Tommy Pham maybe would have been a fit, but I don't know enough about these prospects to know what the Mets got for Pham. I know the Mets were super aggressive in picking up salary on players that they traded in order to increase the level of prospect they got back. They didn't like like Steve Cohen and the the owner there didn't seem to care a whole lot about decreasing the payroll right now. They picked up a bunch of Max uh, Max Scherzer salary to get him to Texas and get a decent prospect back. 
Uh, I I think they're picking up some of Justin Verlander's salary as well to get him to Houston, and they got two very good prospects for him. So my guess is that whoever they got from Arizona is probably a pretty good prospect, and that might have been the deal breaker for the Twins. They they dealt good prospects last year for Lopez and, and for Tyler Malley. There's no question those deals did not work out. Lopez has already been flipped, and Malley's on the injured list with going the, the undergoing the Tommy John again. So, to me, this may have been the Twins. I, I don't say skittish or scared, but they may not have wanted to give up a top prospect for what is a rental in Tommy Pham, and maybe Arizona was willing to give up a better prospect. You just don't know. And the fact that the Twins didn't want to give up whatever Arizona gave up does not mean the Twins were wrong to not do that. And maybe they had no interest in fan to begin with. I have no idea. No clue. Uh, there were some reports yesterday that the Twins were listening to trade offers on Sonny Gray and Kenta Maeda, a couple of veteran starters who are free agents at the end of the year, because this did appear to be a seller's market. The Twins can extend Gray a one-year qualifying offer at the end of the season worth around $20 million. If he rejects that and goes elsewhere, they'll get a draft pick, and that's likely the route. And the reality is because that's a a sandwich pick between the first and second rounds, that compensatory pick, reality is that's probably going to end up being a better prospect than anybody the Twins could have gotten for Sonny Gray right now. So that that's part of why you keep – and the other reason you keep them, quite frankly, is this team's in first place. And you can never have enough pitching. Uh, the other uh, issues that came up yesterday, Brock Stewart threw a bullpen session Saturday, got to 94 on the fastball, but then reported soreness in his forearm. MRI was underwent yesterday to determine the severity. I'm guessing we'll find out more later today as the Twins convene in St. Louis to take on the Cardinals tonight. Alex Kirilov who is on the injured list with a shoulder issue. Uh, he is. Uh, uh, he also, I, say, I should say, had an MRI yesterday. We don't know uh, what the report was on that as of yet, but hopefully he's not out for a terribly significant period of time. And left-hander Dallas Keuchel, who was in the St. Paul Saints rotation, won the Cy Young with Houston in 2015. Uh, he has reportedly opted out of his minor league contract we said a week or so ago that this was something that was a possibility. I said yesterday I opined that I felt like the Twins should bring Keuchel up and, and go to a six-man rotation, and maybe Keuchel didn't want to be part of a six-man rotation. Maybe the Twins didn't think that he was at a point that he could face major league hitters and get major league hitters out. Reality on Keuchel is that his velocity was way down. His secondary stuff wasn't necessarily as impressive. He was generating some swings and misses, wasn't getting a lot of strikeouts, but he's facing AAA hitters. It's a whole different ballgame facing Major League talent. So if the Twins don't think Dallas Keuchel is of the caliber and prepared to face Major League hitters and get them out, I have to trust that. I'm not there. I'm not watching the St. Paul Saints play all the time. So if they say that, i got to assume that there's there's a, at least a kernel of truth to that. Uh, a couple of football notes. Injury for the Vikings yesterday, young receiver Tristan Jackson, who I think would have been showcased quite a bit in the preseason, suffered a what could be a significant knee injury yesterday. We are awaiting official word from the Vikings on that. Uh, Jackson went down trying to make a catch during a one-on-one drill 
and was uh, carted off the field. Things got very somber at TCO Center as this all happened, and uh, teammates and the GM and head coach all went over to offer words of encouragement. It's certainly not, that's never a good thing to see that. It doesn't mean that you know, he's out for the year or whatever, but it's never a good sign when, when, when they act like they think it's a serious injury. Unfortunately, it usually ends up being a serious injury. In Green Bay, meanwhile, I'm intrigued by this. Uh, Kenny Clark has been playing the power defensive end position in the 3-4, and T.J. Slayton, third-year pro, has been playing nose tackle as the first-teamer here so far in training camp. Now, if the idea is to get Clark in a position where he can be more productive as a pass rusher, this might work. It also might not. But it's also going to put Clark in a position where he's going to face better blockers, more elite offensive linemen on the edges as opposed to the interior linemen that he tends to do very well against. Uh, Joe Barry is the defense, calls for nickel about 70% of the time, so Clark likely won't be playing Dean Lowry's old position a whole lot. But as I said, it's going to be a challenge when he plays there because he's going to be facing different types of blockers than what he faces on the interior. And if Clark doesn't produce, the Packers have to figure out how to get him in a spot that he can because Kenny Clark is the best defensive lineman on this football team, bar none. He needs to be in a spot where he can be productive. Whatever spot that is, make one up if you have to, but he needs to be productive. And uh, one more note before we uh, get out of here for the prep update. This is pretty cool. We've talked a lot about the growth of volleyball, both as a television property in in terms of attendance. We see the Gophers drawing better, Wisconsin drawing tremendously well at the UW Fieldhouse, and now that's hit its apex. On October 29th, The Gophers and Badgers will meet in Madison in a match that will be broadcast nationally on Fox Network Television. This is a first in Big Ten history to have a match on network TV, and it's got quite the lead-in for viewers around here because October 29th at noon is the first of two matchups this year between the Vikings and Packers. It happens at noon at Lambeau Field. It'll be followed by... Volleyball, Minnesota versus Wisconsin. And their only meeting of the regular season between two top teams in the Big Ten. Uh, 64 Big Ten matches on national television this year. Volleyball continues to grow, and it is fantastic to see that. 10.50, wrap things up in a moment. Wednesday morning edition, Bruce Siski Show, 610, 103.9 KDAL. KDAL at your fingertips. I'll tell you, these guys have a wonderful stream. Download the free KDAL mobile app. 1059. Sunny, warm, humid outside. We're back tomorrow. Kevin Moore, our good friend from Northern News Now, joins the radio show tomorrow. A bit of a summer catch-up with him. Talk some basketball and maybe some baseball in there as well. That is tomorrow. Then Brandon Warren access twins to wrap up the week on Friday. Brad's up next with Kenny Sound Off after the news. Have a great Wednesday and thank you for listening. This has been the Bruce Siski Show. Hit us up on Twitter at Bruce Siski Show and let us know what you think. No, yes, no, well...
No, I, I crossed my mind. Visit KDAL610.com to podcast today's show anytime. What do you say? Listen to shows on demand and download for free. You can also subscribe via Spotify or your favorite podcast app. This has been the Bruce Siski Show. CBS News is up next. For more than 80 years, KDAL 103.9, W28FBFM, and 610 KDAL Superior, a Midwest communication station. KDAL.